Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I dreamed a dream of days to come where sponsorship is high and money is forthcoming. That's beautiful, Kevin. I really added a voice onto that one, too. <laughs> I really was trying to go for something there. Listeners, we love creating this podcast, but it does cost money. Please don't make me sell my Angel record. Oh, my gosh. The original cast recording of angel that like nobody has nobody has it if you like what we are doing and want us to keep doing more of it please head over to patreon.com what p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com pat rion pat rion yeah pat rion rion pat rion yeah once you're there search for behind the curtain broadway's living legends and of course we don't expect to give without receiving some great rewards. Such rewards include behind-the-scenes videos, shout-outs on future episodes, mm. or episodes, depending on what part of the country you're from, because <laughs> I said episodes, and early access to some of our podcasts. Hell, for the right price, Kevin and I will come to your apartment and act out all of Agnes of God. <laughs> so head over, friends, to P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com to help us out. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast Plus. You can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. Today's guest is one of Broadway's most beloved character actors, currently starring as Vlad Popoff. Did I do that right? Am I good on the pronunciation? Sounds good. John's happy. Great. In Broadway's Anastasia, which I saw and was amazing. It was like a rock concert. Truly. It's incredible. Uh, Today's guest has a long list of credits from Broadway and beyond. Oh, yes, he does. Or, oh, da, he does. That was (laughs) Russian. Look at you. Yes. From a Christmas story to Spamalot, from contact to pageant, our guest has been leaving audiences in stitches since he first trotted the boards in his high school production of... The Wiz. <laughs> since then, and with nine Broadway credits under his belt, he hasn't stopped since. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Susan Stroman, Mike Nichols, and John Kander, here is the old man himself, the most musical journalism major you ever saw, John Bolton. Well, good morning. Good well, morning. Hello. <laughs> hello, John. Hello, John. John, where are you from? I'm from Rochester, New York. Ah, close to you, my friend, I right? Up, we, were, we were just talking about that. Elmira, New York is where I'm from, and we, I was saying people from Western New York they're the only people that know those names of those towns because you said you're actually from a smaller town. Smaller town, Leroy, New York, birthplace of Jello, <laughs> and home to the Jello Museum. And that's how we know our towns by that's what you, they've done. And what did your town do? Mark Twain wrote his stories in Elmira, so there <laughs> you go. It's <laughs> amazing. I'm from LA, so there's nothing. <laughs> 
cute or quaint about no. us at all. No, 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 Just no, scary. No. Okay, so how did you discover theater living up in New York? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, my, I had great parents. My mom and dad would take me to New York uh, once a year, and we would see whatever, you know, was the, were the big hits at the time. Uh, the first trip was to see Annie, and uh, they previously mentioned The Wiz, and uh, those, uh, it was just a, a, you know, magical time for me, because I thought everyone in New York lived at the Waldorf and got to see shows and right. eat at Gallagher's right across from the stars of Annie. Afterward. How old were you on the like the first trip that you I was to New the York same and... age as the kids in Annie. Oh my so gosh! I remember uh, seeing them and going, "There are kids on stage. They're right, my right, age. Right. Why are there no boy orphans? <laughs> Why aren't there, there any boy, boy, orphans? boy orphans? And in my community theater, a girl had just played Oliver. So it's like a girl, a boy could play Annie. <laughs> Absolutely. Why John, not? Were John you singing? Ahead. Were you singing or performing at all back in? Not at all. In your uh, small town? Just sort of in, you know, a playful mom and dad are out playing bridge and the big brothers are at college. So I'll just, uh, by the way, I, they never had a babysitter, which is great. I Wait. think they trusted me. They were just like, oh, he'll be fine. And he would just like leave me home. Oh, they'd leave me home for hours and hours. And you were by yourself or by you myself? By <laughs> myself. My siblings are 10 and 12 years older than me. So it was just like, I was by myself. That's why. Because they had, they had older, they already had kids. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, Fine. Yeah, oh, and I went to public school. They had to go to Catholic school. Right. They, my parents totally chilled out by the time I came along. Oh so. my god! Uh, but no, we had these things called records, yes, and uh, they had we had the Music Man and South Pacific and the Sound of Music, and uh, I just played them constantly until I amassed my own collection mm-hmm. uh, by college, alphabetized, of course, uh, by title, by title, and sometimes by composer. That's how Sondheim, a, Sondheim does his albums by composer. Geeky, yeah, does he really. Oh well, yes, hey, Steve. Because he's up? like, because he does it by. He's like, oh, I associate it by music, by yeah. who, by who wrote it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And did, were you start? Did you start performing yourself? I mean, were you like, hey, I'm gonna, mom, can I go? Can I be an Annie? Can I go be an Oliver? Or whatever? well, I wanted to, but it wasn't really an option. I mean, down the road in scenic Batavia, New York, they did I know it well. They yes. did <laughs> the big Rotary show, and as far as I was concerned, it was Broadway because oh, yeah. they rented the sets and they did everything, and uh, I and I would go see those, and I had friends in those and uh, but no I never got up the nerve to audition it was sort of never an option no okay. one ever said do you want to try out or have singing or anything it just or anything sort of like what no it just didn't ever really come up and I didn't pursue it either I was happy with my secret quiet life of Opening the freezer and belting into the freezer so that I wouldn't wake up the rest of the house. You're not. You're not at, kidding. You're uh, not does. kidding. Oh, but the secret was you would play the 33s, uh, the 33 LPs. Yes. To those of you old enough to know what that means, at 45, and it would change the key, and it would put it in a better key for a young man whose voice was changing. <laughs> and then you would scream into the freezer. You're killing this me. This was my childhood. But no, uh, my school uh, did do a musical every year, and you know I tried out in eighth and ninth grade. I didn't get in. Because I was shy and I had never really sung in front of people, you know, just into the freezer. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, but then eventually got in uh, the shows we did. Oh, gosh, we did Fiddler on the Roof. And I was in the chorus. And nice. Bye Bye Birdie, it was in the chorus. And Mame, I uh, was in the chorus, but played the pivotal role of Junior Babcock. Pivotal. That was the first role I ever played in no community way. theater. Yes. That's so what? cool. Very quickly, I played Junior Babcock, and then in the most offensive move ever, the gentleman who played Ito dropped out, and they moved me up. Oh, no. Oh, no. But it's a wonderful role, and the show yes. should really be about him, and it should be titled Junior Babcock. Well, as far as I was concerned, yeah. it was. And I will say I did get exit applause late in Act 2 for something, because oh. I was a... Sassy young man, and uh, <laughs> like to think the scene was about me. So anyway, uh, but then my senior year, we were going to do Lil Abner, but uh, I oh, nice. convinced, my, which is actually a show I actually adore. Yeah. But um, 
no, I convinced our wonderful director, <laughs> excuse me, Beth Ann Lambian, goddess. Her room was like a sanctuary for us theater kids. You know, it was just, just high a, school. A, oh yeah. Just, she was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, role model and wonderful director. And she did it all. She did the costumes. She conducted it. She uh, directed it. And she was what just was her amazing. Name again? Beth Ann Lambian. Oh. She was wow. just a, just a saint. Plus those teachers, you know, that, yeah. that really make a difference in so she many was the best. kids' lives. But um, we convinced her to do the whiz at this mostly white high school. <laughs> and uh, there we were in Leroy, New York doing the whiz. And you know, <laughs> It was pretty good. It was pretty good. <laughs> Who were you in The Wiz? I played the Scarecrow. Nice. Yeah. Nicely done. That was fun. It was nicely, fun. nicely done. So you're finishing in high school, and then where do you go to college at? I went to a college in Rochester, New York, called St. John Fisher College. Um, I wanted to stay in the Rochester area because I was only 17 when I graduated. Oh. And I was beginning to get my toe in the water because of The Wiz, with uh, other local community theaters. And I thought, this is the stuff I grew up watching. I want to be part of this for a while. And uh, St. John Fisher College had been, they first of all, they had a good journalism department, which is what I wanted to do at the time. I wanted to write because, again, we didn't have any guidance counselors that were like, and also I wasn't really good enough. It's not like there was this great kid, like the girl that played Mame in our Mame, she was a star. It's like they hired an equity actress to come yeah. be Mame. But in The Wiz, not so much. You know, we did it, we got through it, and so uh, no one ever said, hey, do you want to do this professionally? It was, mm. wasn't really an option, and no one from my hometown had ever done it. So I went to major in journalism at this wonderful uh, little college in Rochester that I chose not just for the journalism major, but because the, the Miss USA from several years prior, Mary Therese Friel, had gone to St. John Fisher College. And I thought, well, Miss USA went. I'm going. That's where famous people go, St. John Fisher. So I uh, got my, I, I, have a, I have a BA in journalism. And while I was there, I continued to work in community theater, be sort of a big fish in a small pond kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And there's a Lort Theater in Rochester called Jiva. Jiva, big time. Oh, yeah. 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 And um, I was able to get my equity card working there with weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, you Whilst know, you, in college? I, mean, I started it during college and then finished it after college because I stayed in Rochester to train bank tellers in my dad's bank. And, but, you know, I worked with some great directors there in not just Jiva, but uh, the community theaters around Rochester. There are some really, really wonderful uh, people that run those and were running those at the time, many of whom are still there. And I was able to learn so much from them and the other really, really talented performers there. It was like being in, being in, in another, like having two college educations at once. Mm. Because yes. not all the shows were great. You'd learn from that, though. Right. You'd learn from what wasn't so good about that. Aha. And then you'd do something that was just, oh, my God, this is the second coming. This is the best thing ever. And then you'd learn from that. And you just sort of make the rounds from the different community theaters plus Jiva. And all of a sudden, I had this somewhat of a theater education and sort of grew the cojones to audition for this thing called NETC, the Northeast Theater Conference, yes, totally. where I remember driving overnight just to try my luck and see what happened, fully aware that no one would want to see me or, or hire me for the summer, this was the summer stock auditions. And so where I, a bunch I, of theaters come together for one audition mm -hmm. and you, and you, you audition minutes. once, you have like a set amount of time and uh -huh. you do like a song and maybe a monologue and... Uh -huh. And you see which theaters would like to have your services. That's it. Gotcha. And uh, uh, several of them called me back, and I wound up working in South Jersey uh, at, the, at a theater company there a couple, for a couple of years, how meeting old, some wonderful, wonderful people. How old were you when you went to SETC? Oh, gosh, I was about a year out of college. Okay, all yeah, right. So, so still very um, young. You know, not brave enough yet, but, uh, you know, just 
willing to try something. And then, you know, through that, you, you meet more people like you. Oh, my gosh, it's people like me. Yes. You know, and most of whom went to school for theater. So mm-hmm. I was like, my people, I have found yeah. you. <laughs> right. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I had couches to stay on in New York. And I'd stay for a week or a weekend and then two weeks. And then all of a sudden, I was subletting someone's apartment. And then all of a sudden, I was sharing an apartment with someone. And then all of a sudden, I had my own place. Um, when you were auditioning, yes. what was your go-to audition song? <laughs> um, well, let's see. There have been a few. Uh, my, f- my first one was, how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Perry? Oh. <laughs> uh, but then once I did Oklahoma in Europe and, and we did it, I uh, did this stupid party trick that began to be requested of singing Oklahoma in either German or Italian. Or sometimes I both. read that, yes, in yeah. three different languages. So I would see. do it in yes. Japanese as well, which I learned myself. Because <laughs> it just you seemed like you needed the three to kick it into oh, something. Yeah. But uh, I started doing that, and I became known for it. And certain casting directors would kind of roll their eyes when I launched into it. But you know what? It worked. <laughs> and then certain casting directors would request it. Will you, please, will you do the thing? <laughs> you know? And so I'd pull it out. And you'd see, you'd, you'd hear the intro. I would, oh, I always liked when they wouldn't say, "What are you going to sing?" I hate when they do that. I like letting the song be its own thing. And dun, 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 you'd hear them dun, dun, go, dun, dun. "You'd hear yes. that." They'd hear the intro, and you'd see the eyes sort of glaze over, and then they would sort of slowly realize, "Wait a minute, you're singing it in German or English. Italian." <laughs> and there's just something so absurd about it, oh, and yet yes. joyful because you're singing it with the gusto that you oh, yeah. would sing it on stage every night. So that that worked for a while. And now the past many years, I've, I haven't had to sing my own sort of calling card. It's been here, learn this. Right. Music, yeah, sure. You know, 80 pages overnight. of sides. And oh, sometimes. Yeah. And then it's often which you won't get to. And, and sometimes you're like, well, could you tell me which which five of the 80 we're going to be focusing <laughs> right. on so I can be able to look up once during the your book, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I prefer a little get me in, let's dive in with a little something of my own as opposed mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. but it tends to be now uh, in my career, let's just, let's get right to the material. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. What do you know about auditioning now that you wish you had known then? Oh, gosh. Um, just show up and be you and do your best and be prepared. And once in a while, it'll be your turn to get the part. And know that if, as long as you do your best and you take care of everything you can, look at those 80 pages, look at those five pages, learn the material, whatever it is they, they've given you. <coughs> Sing something appropriate for the show. Um, wear something that is not a costume but is fairly appropriate for the show. Mm. Be on time, be polite. Don't let your nerves get the better of you. Don't babble. <laughs> he said after three cups of coffee. Um, uh, but go in and do your best. And know that as long as you do your best, chances are you're not going to get the part. But once in a while, you will. Yeah. And, and when you don't get the part, they'll remember you. They'll be like, who was that guy that came in for that, that we didn't use for that, but we liked him? Who was that? Bring him back in. Um, those are the good ones. It's the ones where you screwed up, where you're like, wow, I really blithered. Or, wow, I should have maybe rehearsed that song with a piano a time or two before hearing it for the first time, uh-huh. mm. you know, in the room in front of Tony-winning directors. You know, it's the times where you wish you could have done something differently that you can't ever get back. And sometimes that casting director will just write you off and just be like, well, we're done with him for a while, you know. Yeah. So oh, do yeah. your best. Go in, do your best, be as prepared as you can. 
once in a while you'll get the part. Yeah. You're such a funny actor. Um, you, you have such, I mean, you know that. That's not, I'm telling like John Bolt, like doesn't know he's funny. Um, just so you know, if you needed my validation, there you go. Um, who were some of your comic heroes or who were some of your comic inspirations? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I get to talk about Harvey Corman for a moment. Oh. Um, Harvey Corman yes. was an actor for the younger listeners out there on, uh, on most famously on a show called The Carol Burnett Show, which, like listening to all the musicals, required viewing for me was the sketch comedy and the musical numbers uh, on this wonderful show called The Carol Burnett Show. And Harvey was the, 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 um, the one of the two character men. Um, and he was trusted with everything. He could break your heart and leave also just make you roar with laughter. And he was also very famous for breaking character. He and uh, this brilliant comedian, Tim Conway, would just crack each other up and the audience would just be in absolute stitches and there was something about the camaraderie that I noticed between the two of them at a very young age that I was like I want to do that not laugh on stage which I actually do sometimes mm -hmm. but um but to have to be so comfortable with another actor where you just get out there and have fun and trust the material and and have a great time but aside from Harvey Corman certainly Lily Tomlin uh, her mm -hmm. one-woman show absolutely changed my life. I saw her one-woman show on Broadway twice. Uh, Search for in a Signs row. of Intelligent Life. In the universe, mm -hmm. yes. I also had all her records, because my big brothers had her uh, the uh, uh, Ernestine record and the Edith Ann record. So these were on pretty high rotation, in addition to Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, <laughs> in my house. I told you, I grew up in a house with great awesome. stuff. But uh, seeing her one-woman show, and it was my first trip to New York by myself. Oh. Uh, I went without my parents. I had just gotten out of high school, and I, I uh, went to see her show, and it literally changed my entire life. Cut to, she came to see Anastasia a few weeks ago, and everyone had their picture taken with her, and I didn't even know she was in the building. <laughs> I did not know she was there, which is probably a good thing, because my childhood heroes, I will freak out. If you were on Zoom, or the new Mickey Mouse Club, or you are Lily Tomlin, or the late, great Harvey Corman, chances are I would freak out when I meet you. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. That's really incredible. Um, how does this first Broadway show of yours come about? <laughs> um, I had done a show called Paper Moon at the Paper Mill Playhouse which was supposed to come to Broadway. Our yeah. marquee was up at the Marquee Theater. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was a great, I thought, great show, great cast. In the ensemble were not just me, but Brooks Eschmanskis, oh, yeah. Christopher Sieber, Mary Stout, Roxy Lucas, Ruth Gottschall. Amazing, amazing people. Oh, Our principals gosh. were Gregory Harrison, Christine Ebersole, uh, uh, Chandra Wilson, Renee Elise Chandra Goldsberry, Wilson. Linda Hart, John Dossett. It was just the greatest cast of people to learn from. And we're out there at Paper Mill doing the show based on a beloved film of mine, certainly, um, uh, Paper Moon. And uh, we were going to come to Broadway, and I was so thrilled. And uh, then a few days before we started rehearsal for the New York production, they, they pulled it, and they paid us our two weeks, and we were done. And so there our marquee was, sort of lonely. And then this show out of town, Damn Yankees, had been at the Old Globe Theater, had been quite successful. Right. And they were able to take the marquee theater. So all of a sudden, our Paper Moon materials are coming down and up goes Damn Yankees and I'm like screw you Damn Yankees <laughs> right, your Broadway debut yeah <laughs> right oh and by the way on the night of my Broadway debut I wound up hosting the absolute 
per, the exact date that Paper Moon was to open. I wound up hosting the American Printed Fabrics Council Industrial in the grand ballroom of the Marquee Theater. So that date wound up being set. But anyway, <laughs> let's get to Damn Yankees is happening. Uh, uh, one of the actors decides to leave very early in the run. And my agent submits me for it, and they did not want to see me because they didn't know me. Jay Binder did not know me at the time. Mm. And uh, so I went to the open call for it. And friends Good from Paper Mill had, had signed me up and said, we signed you up. So I borrowed someone's music and went into the room at NOLA Studios. <laughs> I think it's still called. Oh, yes, uh, it is. 44, yes. 54, 54, excuse me. Uh, and that that room still to this day. Whenever I'm in that room, I'm like, I put my first Broadway show in this room. <laughs> <You know? laughs> totally. So it's my lucky room. <laughs> so I went in, and for some reason, it was my turn to get the job. I mm. did. I you know didn't suck. And Rob Marshall and Jack O'Brien and and Jay saw something in me that day that they trusted me with making my Broadway debut. And of course, I was so thrilled. But in a week, I learned the show and at uh, in New Dance Group, this small studio, and was on West 47th at the time, with goddess of the stage, Cynthia Unrubia, mm. teaching me, Google her, you guys, she's amazing, um, teaching me the entire show with David Chase at the piano. Oh my Google goodness. him, you guys. He's oh, awesome. yeah. And um, a week later, I had a put-in, and then all of a sudden, I was dancing on Broadway. Were, were you had, did you have dance training? I mean, how did you dance? Well, I was not really ever a dancer. I certainly always had a lot of energy, but I'd gotten to work with some good choreographers who taught me a little bit how to turn and what a shuffle ball change was. And right. Of the singers, I was always one of the better dancers oh. uh, without being a dancer-dancer. Right. Uh, so I think that helped me yeah. get me get the show and um there you go all of a sudden i was on broadway working in the marquee with, theater with, too at you the same theater right yeah so that's my crazy first wow. broadway show story and well, got to work with victor and bb and that terrific cast and, and just being one of the guys in that right. show was jeff just Lumicrans so much fun jeff, jeff was in it yeah. and greg and yeah. scott wise and well the whole i could name them all it was yeah. all people that continue to be some of my dearest friends to this day we interviewed scott weiss we have right. scott yeah. weiss yeah. on yeah oh he's, my he's, god yeah. what a guy talk about being pranked on stage that guy he <laughs> seems <laughs> like a goofball oh yes, he is totally. such a goofball <laughs> and i love every moment with him huh. he's just the greatest greatest guy the whole company was and like i said just getting to be one of the guys in that mm. show it was just so much fun, so much fun. Yeah. So then you do the tour of Damn Yankees were briefly. Yep. Yeah. Were you reticent about leaving New York to do tour for a little bit? Are you okay doing tours, um, or were you do okay doing tours at the time? Well, let's see. If, if we do the timeline there, uh, I'd left Damn Yankees a week before we closed. Sorry, everybody, to uh, <laughs> do to join the company of How to Succeed in Business yes. without really trying with the, the first revival. And, and then you were in the original company of that. I joined like the day after the Tonys. Gotcha. Uh, they, they, they decided it's going to be a hit. Let's hire a standby for Matthew gotcha. and, and Jeff Blumenkrantz. And so I, was, I joined the company to do that. But very shortly after that, um, which was a good opportunity for me because I was off stage, but it yeah. was like, look what I'm doing. Look yeah. what I got to do. Oh, yeah. And then a gentleman in the ensemble, brilliant man, Randall Ask, with a brilliant track, uh, track meaning his little parts he played, mm -hmm. uh, left. And I said, can I do that? And they said, sure. They said, well, it's just an ensemble. Are you okay with that? I was like, yes, I want to do it, because it was such a fun track. He was the guy that gets fired, Mr. Ovington. He was the coffee boy. And so uh, it, I got to uh, replace Randall and still cover Matthew and Jeff. 
and uh, got to do both many times. Uh, there was a, Matthew took a hiatus to shoot The Cable Guy, which I'll tell you how long ago it was. <laughs> but uh, there were a few weeks where I got to play J. Pierpont Finch, Fantastic. which was just an absolute thrill. Opposite. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker, Parker was yeah. uh, was Rosemary at the time, <laughs> yeah, and Jessica Stone was also Rosemary. Oh, who was in that production of A Christmas Carol at Jiva Theater because she is also from Rochester, New York. She business. played one of the other one of the other Cratchit kids. It is a small business, which means really is. be nice, yeah, be nice because you don't know what casting assistant is going to be a big casting director. You don't know what piano player is going to be a big music director. You don't know what. Just be nice to everybody. Don't be fake. Be nice. Amen. That's yeah. really great advice. So then, how to succeed? So I get back to the tour. Then, how to succeed closed. Right. And I, did, I think I joined the tour of Damn Yankees briefly after that as sort of a stopgap because then I booked that company of Annie, the the revival of Annie with Nell Carter. Uh, I yeah. do first Broadway revivals of shows. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Same. Now, before we talk about Annie, I want to jump back a second. Can sure. you explain to us uh, what is the difference between a cover or a standby and an understudy? Because you were hired to standby for Matthew Broderick. That's correct. So, what does a standby do? <coughs> Excuse me. A standby is someone uh, someone who is hired specifically to hire to cover principal actors. Um, understudies uh, are people who are usually in the show who. Uh, maybe step up, maybe to understudy a, a larger role. And then a swing, of course, is uh, someone who specifically covers ensemble tracks who can also yeah. understudy a principal role. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, let's now jump to Annie. Oh, my gosh. How exciting. <laughs> yeah, well, when I was on as, as J. Pierpont Finch, I had heard there was going to be this revival of Annie, and Annie being the first Broadway show I ever saw, I was like, I want, I just need to be in it. You've got and, to. And uh, so I wrote Martin Sharnan and <laughs> bought him two tickets to see me play Finch in How to Succeed and said, uh, please come see me. And he came what? and was very gracious backstage and said, listen, I've already got a gentleman to play Rooster, but I've got a nice track for you, but I'll, you can cover Rooster and I'll give you first refusal on it, which means when the guy leaves, you can, yeah. you can take over. And I said, sure. So I did that. But before I left town to go on tour with Annie, I auditioned for a little show called Titanic. <laughs> so I went into that, and we didn't know what was going to. We heard that there was interest, and uh, then they gave me the offer uh, for Titanic, and I took Annie, knowing oh, this is such a shitty thing to do. Sorry, casting uh, that that I was going to be leaving very shortly. So I did Annie for a couple months on the road, and got to work with wonderful people, and uh, got to work with Martin and uh, Roz Ryan was playing uh, Miss Hannigan, and then Nell Carter, of course, came in. I love in, Roz Ryan, and I got oh, to play yeah. opposite both of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, Nell Carter, special Nell Carter, she, she was a lot. Yeah, um, she was uh, kind to me. Um, <laughs> I, I went on for uh, Rooster a few times in, oh, gosh, Baltimore, I think, and. I had never rehearsed Easy Street um, with her at all. Um, I just sort of learned what I could. When I'm we should in, say that when you understudy something, course. you get taught by sometimes the stage manager or whomever, you, you, and you rehearse by yourself sometimes yes. in a room, and then it's like, oh, guess what? Tonight you're on. And you're on. And then all of a sudden you're actually playing opposite people. Yes. Yeah. Well, and like with Spamalot, it was like, learn what you can. If we have to throw you on, we will. <laughs> And then they did. <laughs> so there's your life flashing in Trial front of you. Fire, in yes. front of Oscar winners. So, so terrifying. Sudden, but yeah, with, with, with Annie, Nell all of a sudden. With, uh, yeah, yeah, Nell said, 
Nell Carter to the stage, please, to go over Easy Street. And she's not there. And there's me and this wonderful uh-huh. actress, Karen, playing uh, uh, Lily. And we're waiting. And I sort of know what it is. By the way, Sutton Foster was in the chorus of that oh as well. Uh, it was a great, very nice company. But uh, so we're waiting for Nell. And finally, knock, knock, knock on her dressing room door. And stage management is like, um, here's John. And, uh, you know, I've been friendly with Nell. And she's, like I said, good to me. But she said, here's how I work, honey. And she's tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny. And she touches my arm and she goes, you're going to go on. You're going to do it. You're going to be great. But we're not going to rehearse it. I was like, okay, great. Thank you, Nell. Appreciate that. And then we got out there. Good pep talk. And and here I am. I was like, well, here we're winging it in front of 2,500 people. But fortunately, I had done my homework and certainly knew the show and and knew the role. So You had the Red Album. Of course you knew it. The Red Album. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So you're only there for a couple of months, and then you jump on to the Titanic. I jump on to Titanic, and what a thrill that was, just from start to finish. Um, you, we, re- you originated, I mean, that was, you rehearsed that one? We rehearsed for a long time, like seven weeks, I think, which yeah. is a lengthy time. It is. Before you even hit the stage, mm-hmm. we were at 890 Broadway, the, the classic. classic. The old classic, Michael Bennett Studios, yeah. yeah. Yes, and there we were, this great company, um, and I'll never forget that first day of rehearsal, where Maury Yeston, composer, of course, and yeah. lyricist of Titanic, sat and played for us and acted out with extreme animation at the piano, the entirety of the opening sequence, which remained unchanged to the note, to the word, from that moment until opening yeah. night, when it yeah. got a standing ovation, as oh, it often yeah. did. Um, that sequence is incredible. Just one of the most thrilling sequences and ever. my mentor was the music director, Kevin Stites. Kevin Stites, Kevin what Stites a is so special, and he, he did those vocal arrangements. I mean, he, he sure did. He did all of that, and, and those, I mean, those vocal, mm-hmm. when you listen to the first 15 minutes of Titanic, it is Oh, I still stunning. twitch when I it's think of those high notes that Don Stevenson and I had to hit every night. Uh, it was just, you just sang from your... Oh, yeah, you're like, high C's, come on. Your, <laughs> full voice, high yeah, C's, you're like, every night. Come on. Oh, my God. But uh, what a thrill to be a, a member of that company. Yeah. I, was, uh, I was Officer Lightoller, and because the actual human being, Charles Lightoller, survived, there was a great deal of info to dive in and uh, research about him. And one night, I'll never forget, about a year into the run, I'm doing the show, and, uh, you know, we were hit. And yeah, um, Tony Ward. I until mean, the world became obsessed with all things Titanic and then tired of all things Titanic mm-hmm. because the movie came out then. But... Um, uh, about a year into the run, I'm walking out the stage door and thinking about, oh, I've got to walk the dog and maybe I'll stop at Food Emporium and get something to eat or whatever. And a woman stops me, Mr. Bolton, Mr. Bolton, may I st- uh, introduce myself? I'm uh, Charles Lightola's niece and I just want to thank you for, for honoring my uncle in the show so kindly. And I was like, what? What? Oh my God. Getting to meet his family oh. was an absolute honor. Wait, and and Meeting them after not knowing them, they were there. It's a lesson. You never know who is out there. Do your best. Don't phone shit in. Do your show because you are changing someone's life. You're you're performing for someone out there. Someone's first Broadway show, God forbid, someone's last Broadway show. You are making magic out there for that starry-eyed person who is the kid that was you, the elderly person that was your grandparents, the, the person that is the niece of the guy you were playing. Right. You never know who is out there do your freaking best you know yeah. I know you've done it 800 times 
just do the show. Yeah. So that was the lesson Good from lesson. that. But but you know, Titanic to this day, I just just so dear friends with that that whole cast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Besides the fact that it was it was a show that you were so intimately involved in, what is it about that score or what is it about Maury Yeston's writing that makes it so special? The fact that it's just so darn perfect. It's just glorious to sing Maury's music, like Lynn and Stevens, frankly, at, at Anastasia. Uh, it's just it feel good music. It feels powerful, and because we were honoring this event, I hope uh, this tragic event, and playing people who we researched, we felt like we were part of something special, and mm. that we worked so hard on it, and that we were so trashed, and then so celebrated. Um, we'd been through a true roller coaster together mm-hmm. of, you know, we left that rehearsal studio after seven long weeks of, of, you know, we had a very esoteric opera director, Richard Jones, just gonna ask of, you that, of, yeah. of, of, you know, kinesthetic response and a lot of viewpoints. And we just all trusted each other and knew each other and held each other in our arms as we sobbed. And, you know, just from rehearsals and stuff like that, it was just one of those experiences that was so special you know, like it was just one of those shows. And I've had people tell me years later, I've done Titanic. What a special, special show. We are all so close. It's, it's like, like Fiddler on the Roof mm. or, or uh, a lesser one, Godspell. Just one of those shows yeah. where you just become so close uh, with everybody. Family, yeah. Yeah. What was your tech process like for Titanic? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> oh, a lot of stop and start. Uh, it was huge. We... Um, gutted the entire uh, Lunt Fontan Theater, as you may know, and we were unable to have an out-of-town tryout because the set was so extensive and so huge that no regional, no, no Boston or New Haven or anywhere wasn't going to let us destroy their theater to build, the, to build this colossal, yet very oddly spare set. Um, and so we opened cold on Broadway with a show that, or we started previews cold on Broadway with a show that we just ran out of time teching. We had not finished teching act two before we had a paying audience. Mm. And so we had to stop and start a few times in act one. And it's charming when you have to stop and start a few times and the (laughs) audience, after a rapturous response to the opening sequence where they all think, this is the greatest thing in history. And then we stopped the show a couple times. They're like, oh, it's charming. First preview, we were there. And then we had to stop the show repeatedly in act two and you just felt the audience turn. And, And it 
we just wanted to die. What um, made it so technical? I mean, what, what, can you remind us what oh, the Oh, the was fact like? that we've got enormous hydraulics and we're lifting the entire stage out of the basement and then slanting it right. and then throwing things down and, and everything. So uh, there's that little thing. <laughs> but um, there's... Yeah. Uh, but And it was a few shows. We sent the audience home some nights. We were like, ladies and gentlemen, we need to stop. Thank you all for coming. <laughs> Good night. And uh, the, there, were, there was a one early preview where, and good for them because they wanted to try it. And maybe we'll talk about this later. I, I applaud any director that is allowed to at least see their vision through by a producer, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's right or wrong. You know, let them try it. Well, we tried this thing where this, the, the guy that found the Titanic, Mr. Ballard, Robert Ballard, comes out uh, at Michael Zervis again in a mirror of his earlier role and this camera comes down and you see the wreckage at the bottom of the ocean and they booed the audience literally booed wait what they literally booed and this was after remember may i mention that 18 minute opening sequence that they stood up for and were screaming and throwing their panties at us by the time we got to that they were like so anyway so uh, it was like uh, in the future, it was like like <coughs> Titanic the movie, where it's like, oh, you're they're discovering the wreckage. Yes, but we were before we were right. Uh, you were many before months the movie. before. That's the right. Movie. That's right. Yeah. So uh, I'm quick to say, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but good for them. They tried it, and yeah. they did, of course, change the finale to, oh, it's the dead meet the living, and we're going to reprise the big the big number mm -hmm. and everything. So they pulled it out of their butts at the very end, and. Uh, mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, we had a show, um, and we're so proud of it. So, so proud of it. Mm -hmm. To this day, if anyone says I'm doing Titanic, I'll stop everything I'm doing. I'll talk about Titanic oh, all yeah. day. Have you seen other productions of it since yours? And I cried like a baby. Yeah. Absolutely cried like a baby. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. you. I mean, you, you, you go to work every day. You know the set's not working the way it should be working. Well, you not know. all the time, but, but early not all in the time, previews. but early yes. on in previews. Yes. There's this... Uh, negative word of mouth that sometimes is building from the fact that you're going to have it to certainly start. was and it built very rapidly as it does yeah. and continues to do even more so with the online situation oh. um, what was disappointing about Anastasia was another show I believe in so deeply and I'm having such a great time doing and I'm so proud to be a part of was the some critics disdain for our target audience and that that brushing mm. off an entire huge demographic as they don't matter, they are less than, they're not, they don't know theater. You know, that was, that was disappointing mm. uh, yeah. for us. But there they are every night screaming like it is the concert to end all concerts. Mm -hmm. And yet the moments where you can hear a pin drop during the big moments in the show, they are so invested and so there. And it is so many young people's first Broadway show. Mm -hmm. And what a thrill to be part of something that they are so passionate about that is their first Broadway show that is introducing them to Broadway and they yeah. can't wait to come back and see more and and there they are screaming on their feet every night and and hundreds of them at the stage door truly sobbing at, at what we've done uh, so thrilled with what we've done and to meet us all and as someone who tends to do the adult shows <laughs> spam a lot included um, <laughs> if you call that as an adult show uh, you know, I've never been part of something quite like this, and it's a thrill. It's an absolute honor to meet these young people every night. How does contact come into your life? <laughs> uh, contact. Let's see. Um, I had just done Titanic. It had just closed, and I wanted to do a play. 
was my next thing. So my agent said, there's this play. It's a dance play, but it's a play. And you wanted to do a play, so here you go. And Susan Stroman is directing, and um, of course I knew exactly who she was because one of my first temp jobs in New York was renting the infrared headsets at the various Broadway theaters, and my home-based theaters, two of them, were the Schubert, where Crazy For You was playing. So I got to watch from the back of the house Susan Stroman's drop-dead brilliant choreography, heart-racing, thrilling choreography, every single night for a Several months, three, probably two, three months. And my other home theater, by the way, was the Sisters Rosenzweig. So I got to learn, again, here's grad school for JB in New York, Madeline Kahn, Jane Alexander, Christine Estabrook, you know, this brilliant cast every single night, Robert Klein, John Cunningham, do these, do, do that, that great play. Anyway, so I was thrilled to audition for Susan Stroman. They had already done the workshop, so the piece existed, and so we weren't creating it from the ground up. I was hired to be the standby for Boyd Gaines um, in a very, very physical role. And uh, additionally, an actor named Jason Antoon, who I adore, who <laughs> makes me laugh every time I see him. Um, uh, so I went in, shook her hand, and did a little dancing for this dance play, and did a monologue for this dance play. And uh, we start rehearsals at the Mitzi Newhouse. And uh, it, because it was a workshop, I'm sort of playing catch up. We're not really creating much. I'm sort of there watching Boyd like a hawk and watching Jason like a hawk. And I covered a couple of the, the smaller gentlemen uh, roles that were more actory. And um, again, no, nothing, no singing in the show, but it was cool. I'd never seen anything like it. No dialogue other, either, right? No, there's some dialogue. Okay. Yeah, John Weidman had written uh, uh, the text. And okay. it reminded me of a lot of concert dance pieces I had seen, mm -hmm. maybe some extended concert dance. I was like, okay, well, it's a. It's a play. I'm calling it a play. And they even had a meeting for us. Now, it's not a musical. It's a play. We are a dance play. We are branding it as a play. And if anyone says anything, it is a play. So we open to absolutely rapturous reviews. It's the greatest musical of the century. And so we had a meeting a couple days later saying, well, we are now calling it a musical. <laughs> so you may now call it a musical. So contact happened uh, because I wanted to do a play. And because I wanted to work, of course, with Susan Stroman. And I suppose it happened because she had the good sense to hire me. What makes her such a great leader in the room? Oh, gosh, Stro. Because <laughs> she knows what she's doing. Um, uh, wow. Here's, here's Stro. She gets people to do their best. She is so good at at letting people do their best and then shaping it. What I want to do for Stro so badly is is really create something with her as opposed to going in after it had been workshopped and here's what it is or you know going in for the producers and and doing my best Leo Bloom but maybe not knowing exactly what it already is I want to create something with her because she's so darn good at it you know say so what do you look for out of a director Someone you trust. <laughs> Someone who, when they're describing the big picture, that you are so excited to get on board and you just can't wait to dive in and do it. Darko Tresniak is like that. Most directors I've worked with have been that. Jack O'Brien. No one can get a room more excited about a project than Jack O'Brien. That's what I've heard. What I've... an absolute honor to work with that man. And I can't wait to do I hope I'm lucky enough to do so again. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the directors that you got a chance to work with that... Uh, it's just a Mike Nichols. Oh just, my gosh! So, right? I mean, 
the genius of all genius directors who's ever existed. Yeah. Uh, plays, television, movies. He Comedy, does, yeah. And, and drama and all is a home run. Always a home run. Um, what was it like? First of all, let me ask you, did you have any hesitance about going into Spamalot knowing that you'd be covering again? Uh, good question. I had left Contact after uh, two and a half years oh, there. Wow. It's a long time. Two like and I said, years. they paid us well. And I did do large chunks of time as in the roles that oh, yeah. I was covering, many months of time and hundreds of performance I did uh, I did in the various things I did. And uh, did I mention they paid us well? So uh, <laughs> that helped. But my heart was definitely not in that last year of the run, and I did not. I was not happy. And part of that was my own doing, truly. I, I just kept thinking, I want to own a little bit of it. I don't want to borrow it. Mm. I want to own. I'd rather own a little part of it than borrow a big part of it. And you're always, no matter how many times you've done it, you're like answering to other people. And um, you know, it, and and sometimes as a standby, they'll be like, "Hey, don't work too hard tonight." And I'm like, you know what, motherfucker, it is harder. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm uh, hired to do a couple different shows that are going to come to New York, and I'm one of the leads of them. Uh, one of them was the opposite of sex that we did in in oh, California yeah, with yeah. A, another stellar company and a, and a show uh, we believed in very much, and I had a wonderful role in it. Opposite some wonderful people. Um, and then psych, it's not happening. Uh, we were going to go to be part of roundabout season, and then they pulled it at the last minute. Mm. And so all of a sudden, I'm going to originate a role on Broadway, and then it's not happening. Backtracking a tiny bit. Spamalot was happening. I want to go in for Spamalot, agents. And they said, no, Mike Nichols is only seeing a very, very small amount of people, small number of people, like 30, 40 yeah. people, tops for all those roles. Oh my and um, so I couldn't get in for it, but they'll see you to cover. Well, no, I'm doing these other things that are going to come in, and, and I'm, I'm through covering for a while. Thank you anyway. So they pass, and, uh, and then my shows happen out of town, and then they don't happen in New York, and then they um, let some people go at Spamalot. And they said, if you come in, I got a phone call on like a Thursday, and said, if you come in tomorrow morning and shake Mike Nichols' hand, this job is yours. What? You stand by. And now all of a sudden, well, it's standing by for Tim Curry and David Hyde Pierce and Hank Azaria. Now, all of a sudden, the definition of the role is slightly different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you know what? It's working with Mike Nichols and Eric Idle and uh, Casey Nicolaud choreographing what I believe is, was his first um, yeah, big, big yeah. splash there so brilliantly. And so I went in. I shook Mike Nichols' hand. And they said, great. Can you start this afternoon? And so I sat in in rehearsal and listened. And uh, like I said, they had let some people go. <laughs> and so... Uh, the room was a, little, a tad nervous because of the recent events. Um, but it seemed like if you just were you uh, and were funny, um, Mike, uh, Mike would bless you and quietly move on. Uh, there was a young man in the ensemble of that show called Christian Borrell, who Heard Mike absolutely loved and said, give him more to do. I want him in that part. I want him more to do. And all of a sudden, of course, Christian became a principal oh, wow. of the show because he was given so much so much to do. Yeah. That. What's it like watching Mike Nichols lead a rehearsal room? <sighs> it's like, shut up and listen <laughs> because the man is always right. Um, oh, the lessons from that man. Um, just remember, you're not funny. It is funny. Because as soon as you start to think you're funny, and I got it going here because I'm funny, you're going to lose them all. You're not funny. It is funny. Is a lesson I have 
I hopefully carried with me um, his famous line, don't put a hat on a hat. Um, I'd rather have you get one big laugh than four small ones, you know, so forego those little laughs that lead up to what could be a big laugh. Let's, let's keep it going and get to that one big one. And, and just watching him brilliantly elicit the science of comedy from those brilliant actors who knew what they were doing and getting, getting some of the ones that were second guessing themselves so much to get out of their own way and just freaking do it was such a lesson uh, for all of us. How do you keep yourself artistically fulfilled when you are doing standby and you know you're at the theater and you're not going to be going on tonight, but you are just going to be sitting there. How do you keep yourself feeling like that you're doing something artistic? Well, at Contact, I read every book I could. Um, I, it was John Reed's The Classics time, and I tore through them. I was doing two books a week, and I'm, I'm you know, of the great, the great world literature. Uh, didn't hit them all, but I hit about 100 of them, and I'm very, very proud of that. Um, so that was my thing there, and fortunately there I had a little, little cubby that I hid in where I could hide from the monitor and just sort of have a comfortable couch to lay on, and I just sort of made it my own little... Very lonely office, I'm sad to say, but I'm also happy to say that I read the great literature of the world. Uh, at, at Spamalot, because the theater was close and we had a wonderful stage manager, the great Peter Lawrence, I was basically on, on call. I could be home four blocks away, watching TV, watching Jeopardy, do, walking the dogs, doing whatever, as long as I could be in the theater, at the theater within five minutes, as I was on several occasions. I was going to ask if there was any uh, crazy last-minute or mid-show or yes. anything like that. Yes, you, wow. absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that, that happens, <laughs> happens a lot. Oh, what was I going to say about a mid-show or last-minute? Oh, the first time I was on at Spamalot, uh, uh, Hank Azaria was ill, and um, so we had understudy rehearsal that day, and I had never been ever in the Knights Hussein knee stilts. <laughs> and these are stilts, like, and you're underneath a thing. And we couldn't get them because that would have involved a whole tech call. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I'm still not in them. We're waiting for people to get there to put me in these things. And then you're in a mask where you right. only see, yeah. like, this tiny little thing. For the Knights Hussein knee! Yeah. But, um, and so we're that, and we're going through Hank's track in my head, and then I go have a quick dinner, and I come back, and I'm hoping to get in the stilts, and they're there, the prop people are there, and they're like, by the way, Hank is in, you're on for Sieber. And I was like, come again? what? What? I'm on for Chris Sieber. So, and this is the, 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 the Black Knight, who's, you've got the whole thing where Tim Curry cuts off your arms and legs, and you back blindly again in a mask that you can't see, and up and you have to hit this tiny little magnet up there, and they're like, uh, and so they put me in the suit really quickly. I couldn't find the little buttons to release the thing, and finally they're like, you know what, we have to open the house. It's going to be fine. You just get through it. Do what you can. And I'm like, everybody in the audience knows the movie. They know what's supposed to fucking happen. I'm supposed to lose this leg. It's not like they don't know and I can just improvise. So my first time on in Spamalot... I'm on for the Black Knight, and for some reason, thank you to every dead relative I prayed to that <laughs> night. Uh, it somehow worked. And I remember what, looking eye to eye with Tim Curry through that little slit in that Black Knight mask right before the severing of the limbs, <laughs> just thinking, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, let it happen. And of course, it oddly enough wound up working because it, it tends to just work out. You do your homework. It, 
It'll, <laughs> it'll work out. Huzzah. You know? Huzzah. Now, working with John Kander. What a wonderful man. Uh, yes. They cut my song. What? Other than that, yeah. Really? The, crit- the critic had a, in, in L.A. a song, well, early L.A., very early, a song called If There Is Art, It's Because of Me. Uh, but because of the song, we, we ascertained too quickly. Spoiler, by the way, coming up for those of you that are going to see a performance of Curtains. Uh, because my character was the murderer, uh, we... It, it sort of tipped it off a little, right. a little too quickly, and they wanted my character uh, Daryl Grady of the Boston Globe to be a little more under the radar, wisely. And so they, John, actually did the did the deed and said, "We're we're not gonna, we can't do the song. We know it's you." And I understood. I totally got it. But I had some great little scenes with both Deb Monk and David Hyde Pierce, who is truly the kindest, most generous, wonderful man in show business. Um, and the great Deb Monk, and again another whole great company, Karen Ziemba, Noah Racy, Megan Sikora, and my, Michael McCormick, down the line, yeah. just the greatest people ever, Jason Daniel, Jill, Jill Pace. Pace, oh, my sweet yeah. Jill Pace, yeah. all of them, just the greatest, uh, but John Kander, what a generous, wonderful man, um, you know, you just, you see him and you just start thinking of all those great, the great songs he wrote. He just came to Anastasia. Oh, he's like uh, in a renaissance. Came he's backstage. writing a lot. Oh, he's yeah. got a oh my God. Everywhere, I mean, yeah. The show at the he should, Greg Pierce, who is uh, yeah. uh, David Hyde Pierce's nephew, I believe. Oh David introduced the two of them, uh, thinking this is this is a good fit. Brilliant. And I'm very happy to say I had, had been able to work with Fred Ebb uh, on some Broadway Cares events um, oh. many, many years ago. And do you know that his estate yearly gives many millions of dollars to Broadway Cares? No all of the royalties, no, no, no. most of the royalties. Of, of Fred of Fred's stuff goes directly to Broadway Cares well, Equity special. Fights AIDS. That's really special. I uh, was proud to call him friend and John Kander, just what a handsome, wonderful, wonderful man. Now, this is very exciting because you're putting a, a new musical together, right? I mean, with you, curtains? Yeah. Yeah. And and Fred had had passed, of course. Yeah. And uh, John wrote the lyrics to a song that was an, uh, a tribute to Fred, sung so beautifully by Jason Daniel in the show, mm-hmm. called I Miss the Music. Um, still, John wrote those lyrics. John wrote those lyrics to honor to honor Fred, oh. and there were all sorts of ways to honor Fred in the show. Uh, F E is a recurring time signature. The the the, the notes F E uh-huh. uh, keep going. His initials keep recurring as a motif oh. in the uh, in the music, uh, because it was set backstage. The backstage wall has all sorts of graffiti, and it was loaded with with Fred's name and anagrams and uh, lyrics of his, particularly good lyrics. I'm proud to say my mom name was part of that lyric, uh, part of the uh, upstage stuff as well. And before one of my entrances, I would always read my mom's name on the wall and think, this is for you, mom. But just a really kind, kind, wonderful company. The tone set always at the top, because, you know, you do somewhere where it's not always the case, and uh, hopefully we won't discuss many of those. But um, because David is so generous, and David Hyde Pierce is so generous, and Scott Ellis is just an just a all-around great positive energy, um, it was just a great room to be in from, and a great theater to be in for the entire year and a half we were together. And besides, unfortunately, your song going away, did the show change a lot between Los Angeles and coming to New York? Uh, n- not that I remember. Uh, no, that's a good thing. Uh, that's I, th- a really I think good we thing. got some more souped-up dance arrangements, and and certainly more of Rob Ashford's terrific choreography. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I can't think of anything. Certainly, nothing plot-wise that that changed. 
I saw it in Los Angeles when you oh, were yeah. trying. It was so wonderful. And it was wonderful. And it was wonderful here as well. Thank um, you. Let's jump to a Christmas story. <laughs> what you're, you're, you're known for, 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 for <laughs> from many, many young people. Young, wow. Um, were you familiar with the original movie before? Very it came much out? so. The yep. film came out in 1985. And I remember reading a nice review of it in the paper, thinking, this sounds like something I would mm-hmm. like. And going to see it with my dear friend, Lori Duke. And the two of us sat there in a nearly empty theater because mm-hmm. no one knew what it was. It wasn't a hit then. It, it wasn't really a hit. It, it mm-hmm. was on a few people's radar. Ebert raved about it. And that was about it. Uh, but it was just this little movie. And, and it wasn't until cable many, many years later that, and when it was on repeat, that it became part of people's lives. And yeah. people slowly realized this is a truly timeless, wonderful film. And, and seeing your own family uh, occur in various ways yeah. uh, in this wonderfully dysfunctional but very loving family is something that hits home for so many people. And of course, the heart of he gets the gift. He gets the gift at the end. Just such a great thing. But I will always, always remember seeing it uh, in that nearly empty theater and telling people for the next few years, there's this movie called A Christmas Story and no one had heard of it. And you'd find someone at some random party somewhere. And mm-hmm. if they'd heard of it, you'd talk and try to remember the quotes oh. from it. And you'd, it's as if you'd found a kindred spirit. Right. And it, again, it was before everyone knew about it. And uh, when the video came out, I, of course, had to snatch it up and watched it many, many times. Uh, but when they were doing the musical um, before my audition, they sent me. The, I thought, well, I can't do that. Darren McGavin was in his sixties when he did it, yeah. and, and I was in my very early forties, if that, at the time. And I thought, I'm not sure I'm the guy for this. And then they sent me the sides, and I, I just thought, I know what this is. I, I got this. I, th- I think I can do this. And I watched the movie one more time, and I just thought, oh, I. I think I know what this is, and I think there's a, I can find a way for me to come through, and still do the thing so you're not going to be pissed when you see it and you know he's not there and I got it um, thank you director Eric Rosen um, when we first did it at Kansas City Rep and choreographer Kelly Devine oh wow my dear yeah. friend forever yeah um, and we did it and then there was some interest in it and uh, we did it the next year at the Fifth Avenue Theater with pretty much no one but me and a wonderful actor named Orville Mendoza who also oh, reprised yes. oh, his role yeah. as the uh, among many other things the the Asian uh, waiter at the end in the very famous and yet oddly, not oddly, but controversial scene at the end. Yes. Um, uh, and so there we were the next year where everyone is replaced. The director, choreographer, composer, lyricist, the book writer was the same, the uh, costume designer lyricist. was the same. Oh yeah, but they got Benj and Justin to, to rewrite the I didn't know the, that they, uh, I hadn't realized that the they score. weren't. Uh, yeah, a wonderful beginning. man named Scott Richards wrote our very intricate score uh, for the, uh, and very intelligent score for the Kansas City, but it didn't, it did it didn't sing Christmas. It didn't have the, the as, as accomplished as it was, it, there was something about it. Benj and Justin were the absolute 100% right fit lyrically in terms of finding the heart, the deep, deep heart in the mother's songs and, uh, and, a, and a little bit in mine and, uh, and the joy in the dad's songs and the frustration mm. in the dad's early numbers in particular of... of uh, you know, the song isn't about a crossword puzzle. It's about a lifetime of frustration, mm-hmm. you know, um, trying to do that, uh, trying to f- solve that. And they kept, I kept thinking, well, this is the year of the four years where they're going to replace me and get someone famous who's been on TV to do it, <laughs> to play the part. But no, they, they kept me and I, I just 
uh, I'm so thrilled that I got to originate that and so deeply proud of it. And the fact that that is uh, something to be known for is an honor, truly. And to get to meet the film cast. So this is, I mean, a very iconic role from the movie alone. And now you're taking on another iconic role in a very iconic <laughs> movie, which uh, Anastasia. How did this all come about for you? Well, they uh, had... I found this out in hindsight, but they had seen Christmas Story and uh, said, that's the guy we want to play Vlad. Let's bring him in. And I had never seen Anastasia, the film, so I thought, well, I'd better rent it. And uh, so I get Netflixed it. It was available, and I watched it, and they sent me the scenes, and I worked on them. And I heard the colorings that Kelsey so brilliantly gives in the film, and I thought, I, I know what this is, this sort of vaguely European uh, jolly friend who's maybe a little shady, and I thought... I. I think I can do this. And I was grateful to them because it's um, something slightly different, I hope, mm -hmm. than, than what people have seen. There's a bit of a transformation physically for me in terms of the shagginess, the beard, and the particularly in Act One. And the sort of, he's a little more world weary, um, again, particularly in Act One, than, than things I've been allowed to do or been asked to do. And so I thought, well, here's an opportunity to do, bring me to something that is a little different. And um, and the movie excited me. I thought, I like this part. I, I, I like this guy. I want to I be him. And so I went in, and I went last. Um, that's another way to get a job. Go last. They'll think, well, there's no one else. We might as well give it to him. Uh, and I, I, I went right after Christy and Derek, and I, I certainly knew Derek's work from Dogfight, again, another brilliant Pasek and Paul mm -hmm. show. Um, and I didn't know Christy, but I thought, well, look at this beautiful young woman who looks like Anastasia. Um, and they were both in together. I thought, geez, these two kids, they don't know who the heck I am. I'm, here I am around all these young people going in for Dimitri and Anya. And um, both Christy and Derek came up to me uh, while we were all waiting outside the room at Telsey and said, Mr. Bolton, we just want to say, we just think you're great. And we oh. saw this, we saw Dames of Seer, we saw something or other, Christmas Story, and we just want to say, we, we think you're awesome, and it's oh. such a thrill to meet you. And I was like, wow. They they know. Right. They, they yeah, know. Totally. I'm so thrown. Here I'd written them off as, look at those gorgeous young people. They're Kids probably from days. some hot musical theater program, <laughs> and they think they're the shit, and they haven't paid their fucking dues. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I'm just old character guy stumbling up the ladder. And, and it just warmed my heart beyond belief and I it just put me in a place that I went in the room and I was so relaxed and I was able to just do it and as I was walking out of the room the, uh, the director stopped me and said you know Caroline O'Connor I said yes I do very well she's a dear friend of mine and he smiled and he said I'm glad to hear that oh. and uh, I what went home <laughs> and I told my partner I was like, I don't want to jinx it, but I think I got it. Because you can usually tell. You usually know. Even yeah. at my age, you you usually know. And the phone rang about an hour later saying, you're going to be getting an offer. And I was absolutely thrilled to be trusted once again with this iconic thing that you can't screw up. You've got to do it, or they're going to be pissed. These it's the, a the physical young people, role too. Very physical, and oh. I'm very happy to say I've lost about 20 pounds. <laughs> you know, here I am, got all these jokes about how big I am, and I'm right. like the thinnest I've been yeah. in forever. 
Um, but what a thrill to do the show. And of course, to work with Terrence and Steven, uh, once on this island was playing uh, when I was a young man coming to the city a lot, and I saw it many times. And of course, thrilled to all of the ragtime recordings. I have the concept album. Oh, yes. The can- Canadian one. Yes. I've got all yes. the albums. Just the fact that uh, I'm in a show that they have written and crafted so beautifully is a thrill. And of course, to work with Terrence, Terrence McNally, um, he knows what he's talking about. And uh, I just love love every moment I get with him and I'm proud of our show it's not the movie and yet we're our own thing there's a little bit more of the history actual history uh, in it and a bit of uh, the old movie too right yes a a little, the old uh, Ingrid Bergman bit a bit yeah um, and it's uh, like I said uh, with or earlier with the the audiences hearing the the audience love it so much has been just a joy and working with these young people Caroline well Caroline is young at heart of course uh, Caroline O'Connor is just a goddess and we are very much cut from the same cloth mm. and to get out there nightly with her and mm. throw the ball around is a, a thrill for both of us uh, can't speak for her but it certainly is for me <laughs> I didn't ask you this earlier how do you build a character when when you when you get something like Anastasia, or Christmas Story, or you know how to succeed, whatever, what's your approach? Find the heart. The, Find the heart right away. What what is the heart? What are we what are we going for here? And then work work toward it. And then if you find comedy along the way, or if comedy presents itself to you along the way, good for you. But the comedy will come from the heart, and the heart being with the old man, the frustration he wants to provide for his family and can't. He doesn't hate those dogs. He doesn't want those dogs dead. You know, he doesn't want his children to go to an orphanage or his wife yeah. to move away. Yeah. He'd be brokenhearted. He's so frustrated because he can't provide for the people he loves. He's almost ashamed. Find the frustration. Find the heart. Uh, and with Vlad, you know, um, he's sad. He's never really fit in anywhere. Lily was the love of his life. And look, he gets this chance in act two to not just use her for her connections, but oh my God, she's still hot mm-hmm. and we can mm-hmm. still do it. And I, it's, it all still works. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. I, I'll forgo the reward money. I got my reward, yeah. you know, spoiler alert, but you find the heart in anything, whether it's something as two dimensional as something like dames at sea, where you're spoofing something, unless the heart is there, it's just this cold thing yeah. where you're spoofing the spoof. And it's not any fun for anybody. Yeah, you know that's great advice. Yeah. I have to. I have to ask you. Um, when I first met John, we did a concert together at, at Fifty Four Below. We did a Christopher Guest thing, and uh, you were sharing your love of the Criterion Ha-ha. collection. Yes, with me. Do you know the, the Criterion collection? I've heard of it. So they put like the really you know artsy fartsy films that you know we like that we love uh, that you know four hour films and, and Swedish. <laughs> Right, um, but they do this really cool thing. Have you seen the Criterion Closet? I have. On I love it. Oh, so they killed. bring in famous directors and actors, and they let them take whatever they want from the closet of films that they own. So I'm going to ask you, John, if not a Criterion Closet, but a cast recording closet, <laughs> you can only take five cast recordings with you. Which five cast recordings would you take with you? Wow, like a Desert Island type yeah, thing. Yeah, your Desert Island. Even if I've already heard them. Even if you've through. already heard them. Well, I'm going to run out of them quickly. So we're going to imagine we're walking into a closet. We've got every single cast recording ever made available to you. I'm in heaven. Okay. (laughs) Guys and Dolls. Guys and Dolls. Original. Original. Original Guys and Dolls. Original Guys and Dolls. And I'm proud to say the Lesser family have become good friends of mine. And uh, I love that whole estate, the way the whole estate is handled. Mm -hmm. I love that family. I love everything Frank Lesser ever ever wrote. And I place Guys and Dolls at the pinnacle of that. And so it's perfect. 
okay, now I need to choose wisely because it's a fifth gone. Oh my gosh. Well, gosh, let me throw out some that aren't on the li- aren't going to make the list. But Music Man, I love you so much, but I'm not sure you're going to make the cut. Um, the Wiz, I love you because you're such a part of my childhood. But no, you're not going to be there, Annie. No thanks. Sondheim, there's got to be a Sondheim. What's it going to be? Um, oh God. A little night music. I don't ever want to sit through it again. I, I'll never get those hours of my life back. It's hard to sit through. I think it's a very difficult sit. It's a long show. However, to watch, to listen to it is is a thrill. Original. Those or original. Yeah, those orchestrations. That French horn lick in uh, in Weekend in the Country. Nothing is better. Um, uh, just so there you go. There's that. Um, I might surprise you with this one. City of Angels. Yes. Nice. What a fantastic score. Again, a brilliant orchestration, uh, brilliantly sung by that terrific original cast. Um, and it's just jazzy, you know? It's just, uh, yeah. it's, and it's an era where I was getting my, my gumption up to come to the city and, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and join, the, join the crowd there. So I need a Maury Yeston. Is it Nine or Titanic? I think it's going to be Titanic because there's obviously a little ownership there. Of course. Um, again, a thrilling orchestration by Jonathan Tunick, the first, uh, first, uh, first Tony for orchestration. That's right. Uh, to, again, Jonathan Tunick. For that one, gosh, that leaves me one. Uh-oh. Oh, oh gosh! Take with them. Throw names out now. Um, I suppose I need a candor and ab. The original Chicago. Okay. All right. Yeah, the original cast recording of Chicago. This is. Great. I have a take with apologies to that great record I had of Anything Goes, the '60s one with Eileen Rogers and Marjorie Gray. <laughs> oh, apologies to that. Apologies to On the Twentieth Century. I love you. <laughs> if I had ten, you'd be there. <laughs> If I had ten, uh, Sweeney Todd would be there. Um, oh there's all. Oh, and I yeah, I didn't pick a Rodgers and Hammerstein. Oh well. If I had to pick a Rodgers and Hammerstein, Carousel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. That was great. Five plus. Thank you. So it's <laughs> our own you. little criterion closet like for us. Yeah. John, this was so much fun. Thank, Thank you. you so much for spending so much time with us. My and, pleasure. And enlightening all of us. We can't wait to see what you do next. Ah, I have no idea what it's going to be, <laughs> but hopefully they'll pay me. We look forward to it. <laughs> yes. Kevin, guess what? What, Rob? We now have over 50 iTunes reviews. Huzzah! Huzzah, indeed! We are climbing those iTunes rating charts. That's amazing. How do we climb even higher? Can you take me high enough? Little Rock of Ages for you. Do you know I like that you took it up so high too? (laughs) You didn't even, you like went right to the tenor place. I was gonna do No Robert Goulet. (laughs) No. Can you take me <laughs> high enough? Thanks for coming out tonight. Ooh, <laughs> and my falsetto there. <laughs> Thank you. And a little Sergio Frankie? Yeah, a little Sergio. It's never over. <laughs> Much like the 24-hour buffet down in the lobby of the Dunes Casino. Me and Sid the Caesar. <laughs> Tonight's only at the Mirage. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, lovely Ooh. listeners, this is where you come in. This is how we're going to climb those iTunes rating charts. That's right. Lovely listeners, if you love us, would you go to iTunes? Click on the iTunes store. Search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews. Under the Customer Reviews, click Write a Review. Then let us know what you think from one to five stars. That's right. And you can leave comments, too, like Kevin Thomas is a god. Or, Rob, who the hell is Hervé Villachez? Who, 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 who is Hervé 
Via, uh, via that too, oh my God. I fell for it See, again. You fell for that it. wasn't even the, the script. The man has never done <laughs> one musical in his entire life, and he gets mentioned more than Stephen Sondheim. Right, Sondar. but I love him from James the Bond. Okay, anyway, oh, yes. guys, help us out. Please. please. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.